Welcome to Uninhibited, a podcast with the mission to discuss taboo, multicultural, multigenerational, and multilayered topics that matter to women. My name is Dr. Makunda Abdul-Baki. I am an Ivy League-trained OBGYN practicing medicine in rural America. I am married and raising three dynamic African-American boys. I am a mother, a career professional, a part of Generation X, and so much more. I bring to the table a true desire for social justice that informs my opinions, and my hope is that this podcast will open conversations, question beliefs, and be transformative. I want to say good afternoon to everyone um, who have joined us this afternoon. It is an honor and privilege to be able to host this discussion uh, concerning COVID-19 and our responsibilities as the community of faith. I'm honored to have joining us this evening also Dr. Baki, a local physician from our community to come and share with us. I am again truly excited to have this conversation because I believe it is needed, especially at this time when I know um, people are wrestling with the restrictions being lifted uh, on the 15th uh, concerning the church as well as other establishments but I do want to have some conversation today about what that would look like as far as the governor's orders and more detail and then how that would impact us also um, with the local health care system. Perhaps if we have a spike in cases, we'll be able to handle um, that kind of situation. There's so many questions, so many things that um, we possibly won't even be able to get to this evening, but I think this is a start for us to be able to have a wonderful conversation with someone who is an expert in the field of medicine. So at this time, I'm gonna turn it over to Dr. Baki for any opening remarks that she may have and she can start a dialogue however she see fit. All right, thank you so much, Reverend Keyshawn. Thanks for inviting me. Um, thanks for just realizing how important it is um, that we have these discussions and get questions answered. Um, I'm an OBGYN, and that is my bread and butter as far as what I do daily, but I also have a background in public health. I have a master's in public health um, from Harvard, and um, so whenever new diseases or anything uh, like that pops up, it catches my eye, and then this particularly uh, COVID-19 caught my attention because of the effects on the African-American community. I, you know, I have a son who is uh, attending Morehouse, and when we first started hearing news about it uh, in February, it almost seemed, and the way the media portrayed it was that it was a disease that perhaps this was one of the diseases that blacks couldn't get because um, the initial people that were infected were travelers, overseas travelers, travelers to China, uh, South Korea, et cetera. And so, you know, that wasn't necessarily on most black folks radar. And so, um, you know, some of the earliest cases were um, the wife of the Canadian uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, not Trudeau, um, but the wife of the uh, Canadian Prime Minister, you remember um, uh, Tom Hanks um, and his wife got it while they were in Australia. So initially the disease had a very white face. 
it did not take long for what is a respiratory illness because that is how it's transmitted primarily. Um, it is uh, through coughing, sneezing, even talking and singing. Um, you and your parishioners may be aware of a choir rehearsal in uh, the state of Washington where one uh, infected member infected about 52 people. And so, and it was a choir uh, rehearsal. Everyone had felt that they were um, in good health. 52 people were infected. And uh, the last time I checked in, about four of those people had died. And so, um, some of the regular activities that you, of course, would do in a church or worship setting, like singing, like greeting each other, um, like shaking hands, like um, taking communion, all of those things um, can carry a much higher risk in this age of uh, COVID-19 and the coronavirus. And so again, I just um, salute you for uh, the foresight to um, let, you know, have an open discussion about it. Um, and so, you know, let's start with some of what your concerns are, so. Okay, well, I guess my first uh, uh, initial uh, concern, I know that uh, we, you know, our church is in a mainly rural area um, that has not seen some of the detrimental spikes that other uh, larger um, metropolitan areas have uh, experienced. But I do want to, you know, I know you have knowledge of the, the local healthcare system here. Um, so are we, if we are to have a spike here in cases, um, will our local healthcare system be able to hand, I know we're a small population, about 10 to 12,000, would our healthcare system here locally be able to sustain such a um, spike in cases here locally? So that was my concern from the very beginning when um, people were um, kind of bucking because of the restrictions, because we're sitting here in the southwest corner of the state, maybe looking at news about New York and London and thinking we're not a big city. So why do we have to, um, you know, kind of be punished for something that is going on in the big cities? Um, and it, it, and we were quiet for a long time with no cases. I think, I think Martinsville City was the last municipality in the state of Virginia to finally report a case. And what we have to understand with that is that cases give us a shadow or a, a foreshadowing of what is actually out there. Cases do not um, actually quantify how many people are out there um, that have it. So even as, as myself, as a doctor, every time my kids get sick, I do not take them in for a flu swab. There have been times that we've certainly been like, you know what, I think what he has is the flu. And it's run its course. We've given, you know, stuff to keep the fever down um, and, um, and then it's run its course. So, and it's the same way for some people, the um, Good man, how about yourself? will be a flu-like. Oh, you're fine, you're fine. And hey there, how you doing? Good, Okay, so for some people, it'll just be a flu-like symptom um, and they won't um, get severe disease. And 
there are certainly some contributors that increase your risk of getting severe disease, being older, having comorbidities such as having asthma, COPD, uh, hypertension, high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity. Those are all comorbidities that can um, hasten your um, decline with the disease. And we certainly have a fair amount of young, healthy people that have gotten the disease and have not done well. Uh, literally, I feel like every day, if not every week, there are new uh, nuances of this disease. So at one point, you know, maybe in certain corners, we thought Blacks couldn't get it. Well, that was proved wrong. Then um, we've even heard from the higher ups within science that kids are protected, like kids don't get it. And now this past two weeks, they've been talking about a mysterious new illness that is affecting kids and several have died. So this is a rolling target. This is not um, something where we're going to be able to say, um, you know, we open everything up and then um, we're going to have the capacity. Because the other thing that needs to be underlined, the flattening the curve was only so that we could get ready. Because when we first got hit with this, we had no uh, protective equipment. We didn't have enough masks. We still honestly don't have enough masks. If, uh, you know, there's, I see people posting on Twitter where they're reusing their masks for weeks at a time. I personally will reuse my N95 mask for at least a week because it is not, it is still not widely available. So um, I'm not going to speak directly um, about the hospital because I'm not um, on their preparedness team per se, but I can tell you that we have limited ICU beds. We do not have, um, you know, uh, unlimited ICU beds, unlimited ventilators. We just, we don't have unlimited staff. Um, so no, this would not be a good situation for a um, hundred people in our small area to get critically ill. Uh, we would easily be having to transport them to Roanoke, uh, Danville, um, uh, you know, Greensboro. Um, yeah, because we don't have, I mean, there's no way that we have a hundred ICU beds at Martinsville and that's not um, downing the hospital. It's just the fact that why would a community, you know, a hospital that has 200, 300 beds total, why would they devote a third of them to ICU beds? That would just not make normal sense. So um, the answer to the question is uh, no. I, you know, are, are we as prepared as we can be? Maybe. I mean, there's still stuff that we can do better. But um, if you're talking about let's go back to life as normal, let's sign your kids up for summer camp, let's open up all the pools, let's open the churches back, let's pretend like coronavirus never happened and see what happens. No, there, there's going to be a high death toll if, in that case. Uh, so just so if you joining us now, please mute um, yourself because it, there's feedback. 
Uh, let me unmute. Let me see. Yes, I'm I'm working on another computer, but that's that's okay. me. Uh, but yes, I totally agree. And I see someone has uh, implemented a question or uh, inserted a question into the chat. I think um, the person was asking about the availability of testing uh, here in the area. Do you, you have any insight about that? Um, I know that we definitely have lab core testing, like as far as you being able to even come to my office, we've run a couple of tests. That's not our primary um, mission, but we have run a few tests out of our office. Um, and I know that um, uh, there are other doctors' offices in town that are set up to do testing. And then there has been the testing that's been available um, in the uh, uh, the raceway um, that uh, the Martinsville Speedway, had, the Department of Health has run several um, uh, clinics where they've done testing there. So testing is available if you have symptoms. And uh, for example, uh, when the governor made some of the changes uh, initially from March till about last week, uh, the hospital was not doing any elective cases just because it would take away manpower, it would take away the PPE, the personal protective equipment. And so we weren't doing any um, elective cases like uh, taking tonsils out just or um, doing knee replacements or anything that wasn't an emergency we weren't doing. With slowly going back to doing elective cases over the past couple of weeks, the hospital has implemented that all uh, patients uh, will get COVID testing screening um, before they have their surgery. So I had one lady who had a C-section last Thursday. She came to the hospital on Monday, had her COVID test, and then, um, then we went ahead and did the surgery as planned. Um, uh, you know, we do not have point of care testing, which some of my friends in bigger cities like New York and Philadelphia, they do have point of care testing, uh, which means that you present, I do the swab, and in 15 minutes, I can tell you whether or not you have COVID-19 or not. We don't really have an idea as far as when we will have point of care testing, because really that's the gold standard as far as really knowing whether someone is asymptomatic but still able to spread disease or uh, whether they're clean and clear, at least for that time period that you're seeing them. So that's where we'd like to get to, um, but we're not there yet. We still have testing that's better than it was when it started, because I don't know if you guys remember, we had one case where it took literally like 18 days to get the result. Um, and the man had already self-quarantined and was back in circulation by the time he finally got his results. So I don't think we're getting any of those extreme um, delays anymore. I think we are safely getting results back in a two to three day range. Okay. And as we're talking, I just want to uh, invite those who are, uh, who are on with us, um, who uh, are on our Facebook page, you are more than welcome to type any uh, questions 
that you may have uh, in the comment section of our Facebook page so that um, we can get those answered for you uh, at this time. Um, now, I know we're going back to this. I don't want to go around in circle, but I do want to um, bring back the notion of the fact that, of course, we know that the governor has will will be releasing um, certain businesses to go back to normal. Well, not normal, but half capacity. Um, so, in that case, I know you probably had a chance to read over the governor's orders. I know many people just you know heard that he said you know people can go back with fifty, and it was different versions. Some people said fifty people. And then, you know, to come to find out it was 50% of the occupancy of the worship facility that um, the church was a part of. But in that, there was a very extensive, detailed list of requirements that churches had to have in place in order to um, be able to operate, you know, uh, in, the, in, the, in, in the parameters of the mandate. Um, but from a health perspective is if let's for, say for example the church uh, may not be a large facility maybe a, a smaller facility or a large facility it doesn't matter but in that you know what would you what do you think that would look like health-wise if you know given the condition of COVID-19 and how easy it is to transmit in a worship type of setting yeah um I think it's it's difficult days that lie ahead I think um, honestly, that our lives are never going to go back to what they used to look like because, um, you know, due to the fact that we're possibly going to have to deal with in the future continued outbreaks and, and there's just so much we don't know about this virus. Will it be like the flu, which we have to come up with new vaccines every year? Um, you know, and, you know, people are hanging their hopes on getting a vaccine, but we also need to remember we are putting a whole lot of effort into it. And I certainly am prayerful that we can get an effective vaccine, but we've been dealing with HIV AIDS for over 40 years and we have no vaccine for that. Like they're, they're just beginning to trial one or two uh, vaccines for that. So vaccine development takes a while. So as far as specifically as the church, I did get a chance to read what the governor said. And of course, you know, it, it's a temptation for humans to kind of skim the surface or to get to read what they want to read or to to hear what they want to hear. But um, the governor, uh, the document is four pages long and it has a lot of specifics. So my reading of it was that churches would have to be at 50% of, of occupancy. So if you have a building that says 400 max occupancy, the most that you could have in there at any time would be 200. But not just that, like you can't have 200 people milling around, eating, um, fellowshipping, you still have to do the social distancing. So your family can sit amongst themselves. And, and when we say family, again, it really is supposed to be family that lives together. So your auntie down the street does not count because she doesn't live with you. Um, so it really is kind of the home unit 
can sit together, whatever your home unit is, they can sit together, but between the home unit and another group of people needs to be at least six to 10 feet. And then you're going to have to do the frequent hand washing. There'll need to be hand sanitizer at different locations. There will need to be a deep and thorough cleaning of the church um, for any of these worships. Um, you know, they don't, they want you to get rid of any kind of paper. So no bulletins or announcements, kind of putting everything um, digital um, so that there's less uh, contact area and stuff that we're touching because the, the science is out on that also as far as how long does coronavirus live on surfaces. I've, um, I've seen some stuff that says uh, days, I've seen some stuff that says hours and, and different surfaces, uh, it has different longevity on. Um, within the, um, one of the smartest things I think that um, the governor put in the document is that each church should designate a healthcare leader or a team of people that will be discussing these issues um, and trying to make sure that they're doing the best um, job that they can following the guidelines. So this does not in any way mean that this Sunday we're going back to church as normal with, you know, uh, 15, 20 people in a pew sitting next to each other and enjoying the fellowship and the worship. Um, we're not going back to choirs that are all stuffed together in the um, choir booth singing. Um, we're not going back to musicians that are, you know, all next to each other in the musician area. Like those, everything still is going to require social distancing and all the hand washing and all the preventive measures. And, you know, it might be a good idea to have someone who, as they're entering the facility, take temperatures. And you're gonna need to ask questions about um, where the parishioners have been. It's a, um, it's gonna be a task and it's still not going to look like what church used to look like. I agree. I totally agree. Um, and I know that, um, that a lot of churches are doing the drive-in drive-in services, um, mm -hmm. and I and I can I can see how that you know in some ways can be safe, but I also uh, have some question marks behind that as well, especially if you know people are outside their vehicles or uh, with the windows down. You, you know, it's still. I mean. You can tell me if I'm wrong, you can still spread that way too, right? If the windows are down, yes, it can still spread because six to 10 feet is just a um, recommendation, but they are, you know, there's some um, schematics that they've done that show that, you know, if you get a, a good sneeze, um, you know, a powerful sneeze, you can spread respiratory droplets um, way beyond 10 feet, up to 20 feet. So the, the six to 10 feet is, is purely just a suggestion. And so um, certainly a drive-in type of situation is better than um, sitting right next to someone else in the pew. 
but I, for right now, especially if you have members that are 60 and above, period, and then if you have members that have multiple other uh, chronic medical conditions, period, they should still be receiving the word um, by Facebook Live, by YouTube streaming, by Zoom, by whatever digital method that you want to use because honestly it's just not um it's not safe yet and even though we we're not seeing the uh same numbers we i mean we wouldn't see the same numbers as richmond we don't have the same amount of people martinsville has about 14 15,000 people in it and henry county i think has somewhere about 60,000 people so that's like one small suburb of Richmond, like all of us put together. So we're not going to see their numbers, but, you know, we are definitely beginning to see an uptick just um, over the, the 48 hours, uh, I think Sunday into Monday, we had six new cases. And, um, you know, I'm talking to my patients and I'm hearing about different factories that are having cases but i'm not yet seeing it reported in the uh like the department of health site and i'm just trying to figure out is are they getting tested in other places like could um someone who tests positive in danville they get counted in the danville numbers or the greensboro numbers but they really live here you know or they or they work here and so um, from the patients, some of it certainly is hearsay, but um, my patients were telling me about the positive, pa positive person at Lowe's at least a week before the Department of Health finally confirmed it. So it certainly is, you know, certainly I'm hearing some gossip, but I'm not going to necessarily say that all the gossip is false. Let's see. Um, now, as far as resources are concerned, that's per um, do you have any specific resources that you would um, point people to uh, if they want accurate <laughs> uh, information on um, COVID-19? I think the best resources are gonna be the Virginia Department of Health. And you can just literally put in the Virginia Department of Health. They have a website devoted to COVID-19 in our state and they keep up with the recommendations for our state. And then um, also uh, going to the CDC website, cdc.gov, and then you can search COVID-19 and they will give you um, the most up-to-date um, information um, that um, is being released from the government and um, from, from scientists. So those are the two places um, that I tend to read regularly to see if there are any changes okay and i think we will make a com commitment as well as uh, the community of faith um to share the governor's orders uh, via you know some of our digital platforms just in case mm -hmm. uh, no one was able to get that uh read out or read read that or get that information because it's extremely important to have everyone understand you know that there are still parameters um with opening per se back places of worship and so i think we'll make the commitment ourselves to make sure that that information gets out um to 
people so they can understand that as well. Mm -hmm. I don't see any question. I'm gonna give anyone else another chance to uh, ask any questions if you would like anyone here uh, have any questions or anything that y'all want to um, dial. Uh, yeah, I got one. Okay. Um, uh, well, I'm gonna make a statement first, and I, I believe that I, I've been back in the governor the whole time uh, uh, because I do believe for for the black community we needed be honest, we needed some kind of restriction to keep us, to keep ourselves safe. But I'd also know that he's been receiving pressure to lift the mandates, but I still don't see it in our community safe enough for us to go back to church. Um, because you can put things in order, but when we get together, it seems like we, we, we get where we at and what we should be taking care of, which is one another. And so, I know uh, some people have got sick here lately from a service. <laughs> the, tick, the uptick came from a service. So far as for us, I just don't think we're, we're prepared. Uh, uh, so what I'm saying is, like the doctor was saying a minute ago, if we see a great uptick over the, over the course of the next 48 hours, I don't think the governor going to change his mind because he's under so much pressure to let people go back to doing some of the things because really because of economics. If the doctor wanna touch That's really them. what it boils down to. It's not science, it's economics. And um, people just have to really realize that, that it is the decisions that are being made from the White House to Richmond right now, even though our governor is an MD, um, it is a delicate balancing act because the country, the state can't remain shut down um, economically forever. Um, but if we start to, because there's already been several countries that have kind of been where we are, they, they got it to what they thought was a controllable level then they released, um, you know, they let people kind of go back to eating in cafes, uh, kids back at school, all of this stuff. And now they've had to kind of tighten up again, which is what I'm gonna, it was, you know, what I'm predicting is that we're, people are gonna get spring fever and they're gonna wanna be out. And, um, you know, there's been so much um, harassment for some, uh, like in Michigan, where you saw those pictures of, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, white men bearing arms and going toe-to-toe -to -toe at the state house because they felt that um, the lockdown was, um, you know, damaging their freedoms and that they weren't uh, being able to adequately express their freedom. So it's a delicate balancing act. And if you don't have to go out and be a part of the economy, then, then, then don't if like, I mean, but I know for some people and, and Trump actually said this, that if you open back up and your employees say they don't want to come back, mm -hmm. you as the owner of the business are entitled to contact the, your state unemployment office and say, Mary, Scott and Bob did not want to come back to work and the state has the power to kick them off of the unemployment roll. So whether Mary Scott and Bob has COPD or Mary's pregnant and she's concerned about her unborn baby, 
all of those things don't matter if um, your job opens, you're expected to be in place um, and be ready to work. And they're not, you know, what's particularly criminal about this administration and what's going on is that um, because some of these things, they're, they're basically like the nursing homes that have had been rife with problems for years as far as their cleanliness and how they take care of patients. There's a reason why we're seeing so many deaths within the nursing homes. Those families won't be able to sue those nursing homes for negligence. Those corporations are being protected. Um, and it's the same way with the meatpacking industry. Um, he commandeered that the meatpacking people were essential workers. They will be forced to go back to work. Whether or not they have proper protective equipment, if they fall sick and die, their families will not be able to sue the meatpacking. So it's inherent upon all of us to really put ourselves first. And if we have to go out to make sure that we have as much protective equipment that um, we can get, whether it be a scarf covering our mouth and nose. And let me just underline that it has to cover your mouth and nose. Right. Um, so a scarf covering your mouth and nose, whether it be um, just carrying, you know, decent amount of hand sanitizers, whatever, because it's a lie that there's adequate PPE. There is, and I spoke to one woman, her husband's a firefighter in Roanoke. They, you know, they, they're first responders. They're, when someone is short of breath, those are the people that show up. And her husband has to wear basically kind of like a, a raincoat type of situation. He doesn't have all of the fitted um, equipment that should be there, they don't have. And so that's what, um, that's what people are being faced with. So I think each person, despite what the government says, has to really make a decision for themselves based on what their particulars are, um, how old they are, what diseases they have, and then, you know, whether or not they're going to qualify for any assistance. But make no, make, make no mistake, the recommendations that are out there are about economics. They're not about human lives, because if it was purely about human lives, we'd still be, we wouldn't be in phase one because as I said, we got six new cases. I think Henry County has 30 cases and literally six new cases in the past few days. So we don't know where that's going. And, and as I said, with my patients, I'm not going to name any names about which factories, but I'm hearing more and more that the factories and the call centers are having people that are infected. Okay, and I got a couple of questions that are coming in and I wanna go ahead and, and get to them before we run out of, out of time. But I have one of my members who wants to know about testing. Um, is there a cost to the testing uh, and will your insurance cover, cover testing? Insurance is supposed to be covering testing. They, I mean, the, the president said that anyone who needs or wants a test should be able to get one and that it should be free of charge. So um, it, we're not at the point yet because we don't have as, as much test, um, you know, even for um, the state of Virginia, I think um, 
Northam, oh gosh, I'm blanking on, I think he wanted to be doing 10,000 tests a day. And I think we're at about 9,000. So we haven't met that goal of where he wants to be with testing, but um, we're not kind of at the point yet where you can just say, I don't have any symptoms, but I just want to get tested. Um, you have to at least have a, a, some type of symptoms, whether it be cough, uh, you know, muscle aches, um, flu-like symptoms, or if you say that, you know what, um, I had recent close contact with someone who had COVID-19 and that if that's verified with the Department of Health, then you can qualify for testing then also. Okay. And we have uh, someone else who would like to know about the time period um, that someone can be asymptomatic and a carrier. Is there a specific time period that a person can be that way? Um, that's still being worked out. I've heard um, a couple of different, you know, um, uh, estimates on, on that as far as whether um, it can be up to a week um, that you could be asymptomatic um, and be able to, to spread the disease. Um, and, you know, as again, there are, there's so much that we don't know. Uh, if you remember with MRSA, the methicillin-resistant staph infection, there are people who are MRSA carriers and don't get sick, but there are people who have MRSA and they die from it. They get an overwhelming infection. So are there carriers of COVID-19 who won't get sick but will be able to spread the disease? That certainly is a possibility. So it's really still too new for us to know an exact number. But what we do know is that there is asymptomatic um, transmission. So you don't have to be sick unto death to um, transmit it. You can look and feel fine. And so I tell my mom who's 71, when she, you know, has to go out, I, I tell my kids, um, you know, my oldest is working in the public now. And I tell my husband, like, treat everyone like they have it because right. you really don't know who has it. So there's, I mean, really the only point when in the day when I'm not wearing my mask is either if I'm eating or drinking or when I make it home. So getting home is like a, a big deal for me to finally um, take the mask off because I don't like wearing it either. I like um, smiling with my patients. Probably the one of the biggest changes that's happened in the office is that um, we don't allow anyone else in the office besides the patient. So um, for years, uh, the best, you know, one of the best parts of doing my job was delivering the babies and then having the first couple of visits when the mom brings the baby back and I get to see them together and get to pick the baby up and all of that. All of that's lost for right now because um, even though we'll do the postpartum visits with the mom, we can't have anyone else and we're definitely not uh, wanting any of these newborns to be out and about. And I'm glad you brought up the issue with the mask because that was a concern from someone uh, who mentioned about uh, a question or a debate on someone uh, who is healthy wearing a mask out in public, as well as 
um, cross-contamination with wearing gloves uh, out in public as well. And they just wanted some clarity on, on that. So gloves, okay, so I'll do the mask first. So the N95 masks, which have the, the filter and everything within, and the surgical masks, are really supposed to be reserved for healthcare workers because we are on the front lines and we're taking care of large numbers of people in a, a, in a given day, I'm exposed to at least uh, 20 to 30 patients um, and then another uh, 10 to 15 uh, other nurses, doctors, and colleagues within the hospital. So um, the exposure is high and wearing my mask is one of the uh, things that keeps me protected. So for a person who, um, is not in the healthcare field or a first responder, um, we're recommending that they wear a, um, a cloth mask or a scarf or some facial covering. And I'm asking all my patients when they come in to wear that because um, something to cover their mouth and their nose. It really should not matter if you feel fine and you're healthy because you can spread it asymptomatic. Most most of the spread is asymptomatic before anyone knows that they have it. Um, that's how most of it is being spread. Um, so feeling fine today is no guarantee of what you'll be feeling tomorrow or in 72 hours. So by wearing a mask, you're protecting yourself and protecting the people around you. If I know that I have almost 0% chance of running into anyone. Like yesterday, I took um, my evening walk and I had a choice of going to the Dick and Willie Trail or walking along the road near my house. When I drove by the Dick and Willie Trail, there was just too many people out there. I didn't feel like walking with my mask. And if I did uh, take, take my walk there, I would really have had to wear a mask because there really was... Um, at least uh, 10 to 15 cars in the uh, parking lot. So I knew there was going to be a fair amount of people on the trail. Now, me walking along the road near my house, it's pretty desolate. And uh, as, as I thought, I saw no one besides people who were in their cars. Um, and so there was, um, to me, it seemed like safe enough that that type of evening walk I wouldn't wear a mask, but um, you know, you have to be smart about it. And so certainly if I was going to go to Walmart, any uh, area like me, the kids, everyone wears masks. If we have to make a, a run um, to a store, um, I try to keep the kids mostly, um, you know, away from anything like that. But sometimes we do end up going um, to Target or something like that, and they will wear their mask and I'll wear my mask. So as far as um, gloves, so this is the situation with gloves. For me, I have been run, I've been burning through gloves more than I've ever done before just because of COVID-19. Unless you're able to have the um, wherewithal to change gloves frequently, um, you're not protecting yourself or or the people around you. I regularly will 
wear gloves to pump gas. And when I was at the sheets recently, I saw that they had a sign that said they provide gloves. I guess if you went inside, they would have some gloves to provide. Because again, you're, we know that uh, the coronavirus can exist on surfaces. Uh, pumping gas is, um, you know, many people will have touched that same handle. Um, and so that's something where, you know, I would wear gloves, but I wouldn't pump the gas, pump the gas with my gloves on, jump back into my car, touch my steering wheel, um, you know, dig in my purse for the credit card with the same gloves on, uh, drive to Walmart, pick up some chicken and for dinner and touch, 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 all of this stuff with the same gloves. Um, it's not, it's certainly um, not protecting the other shoppers and, um, you know, the, the effectiveness, I don't really think it's protecting me either because when I take the gloves off, then, you know, am I going to sanitize the steering wheel and sanitize the car? I think the best bet is to kind of figure out what are high risk situations. If it's a high risk situation, then wear gloves or at least make sure that you can wash your hands. The coronavirus is killed by soap and water. So, and it's also killed by alcohol. So it's not a impossible uh, virus to defeat. So um, frequent hand washing and hand sanitizer really should be enough. Obviously now between every patient, um, every patient and sometimes even the same patient, I may change my gloves multiple times and then um, then do the hand washing and hand sanitizing also. Just because it is really high stakes, it's um, so, um, so many people that I'm interacting with. And as I said, I'm hearing more and more about um, spread in workplaces and I'm just trying to understand why certain workplaces haven't been um, closed because my understanding was that if you have two or more cases, it's an outbreak. And so um, there are call centers that are now, um, I think what was sent to me on the, the news article um, that have six cases. So um, I'm waiting for um, some clarification on that because um, anything of that order really should be shut down. Okay. I think there was one question on the chat, uh, on the Zoom chat. Let me just take a look at that. Um, there was a question about food safety. Um, okay, so they were saying Recently saw an article about not blowing out candles on the birthday cakes because you can transfer COVID this way. Can you please clear, provide some clarity on that? Definitely anything that has, um, so anything that where you can produce spit or um, respiratory droplets, I mean, even talking, even though, you know, um, you know, when we were in, in, in uh, elementary school, you said, say it, don't spray it. Even in those situations, even with just generally talking, you are uh, producing respiratory droplets. There are, um, there, you know, 
there's saliva and stuff that's coming out right now as I'm talking. So um, that's the reason why the mask is so important because that keeps me, whatever's going on with me, that keeps it to me and it doesn't allow it to spread to you. And the same thing with, with you wearing the mask, it keeps it on your face with you breathing it in and it doesn't allow it to spread to me. So anything that you can think of that would produce any type of droplet, sneezing, coughing, singing, talking, blowing out candles, all of those uh, produce respiratory droplets. All of those would be possible um, ways to spread uh, the virus as long as it's, um, it's, it's in your house or you know in your body, then yes, you can um, spread the virus through uh, simply blowing out candles. Okay, I, let me, I think I wanna clarify the question, um, but I think the, the person wants to know, like for example, the meat packing, meat packing plants um, and the people who've been in there who've tested positive for the virus and handling meats once it gets to your house, uh, to the grocery store to your house but will um will what it and you handle you handling handling it when you get home cooking it all that kind of stuff you know can it be transferred you know through that process as well um i would think that would be a very very low chance of transfer just because um if anything it would be the outside packaging um where you know as i said the person who goes from their house to pump gas to Walmart, touching up a bunch of packs of meat, and then that being on the outside plastic. Um, there's been some different things where people have recommended, you know, your groceries, sit them on the counter or sit them in the garage, um, spraying um, them with some dilute solution of uh, vinegar or bleach or whatever, just to kill whatever would be on the packaging. And then um, once you take the meat out, just rinsing off the meat um, and then cooking it, um, I would think would kill any virus because I, I have not heard of any case where they felt it was transmitted through cooked food. Okay. So I would think that um, cooking would be um, safety. It's it's more the outside package. It's the whole thing with, you know, getting your mail and um, and that type of stuff. Let me ask you a question, Reverend. What do you think about um, with offering? Um, you think um, are you concerned at all about the safety of collecting cash going forward, or or do you think it's time to consider kind of doing everything digitally? Well, I think, um, you know, with some of the leaders, I can only speak from our context, the leaders of our church um, have, as far as we've implemented di uh, digital online giving, as well as um, we're still collecting, but, you know, in that process, they're using sanitizer, they're, you know, doing the, the steps necessary to make sure that their handling of um, um, the small amount of collection that they bring in that they're not contaminated as well. So, mm -hmm. um, but I do think moving forward that, you know, people should be concerned about that because I do know, uh, I don't even like using cash now at all <laughs> because in, in, if I'm on the drive-through, I don't like seeing the person who's in the drive-through window handling cash and then handling me, my food, and, you know, just, 
you just never know. And so that can be, um, but um, I'm glad that we have other means of being able to give. Mm -hmm. um, we have in our church implemented dig, uh, online giving, um, but there are some who still, but we again, try to take the proper steps necessary to be safe. Mm -hmm. But as far as passing a collection plate, you know, moving forward, that, that may be different right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's because you really have to limit the amount of hands that are on anything. Um, we're even in the office, we're trying to figure out if we can get new patients to fill out their paperwork digitally, because um, we want to get away from paper as much as possible. Well, um, if I don't see any more questions coming in, and I just want to, um, I know we're taking some quite some time, but again, I just want to thank you so, so much. Uh, and we're going to stay in contact with you to help, you know, keep the conversation going as far as our, our faith community is concerned, um, because I, it's really necessary because there's a lot of voices um, spreading information and sadly some misinformation. And um, we just want to make sure that people have insight from those who are in the actual field and not, well, I won't get into all that, but just <laughs> um, the proper information to help people move forward uh, in this um, situation that we're in right now. But I believe if we keep the faith and keep working together um, and doing the proper things that's necessary, we can move forward and become slowly um, back to as normal as possible and moving forward. But we just have to be patient, um, do the right thing. And, and as you mentioned earlier, and which is something that I really have been, had a heart for is, you know, uh, thinking in terms of someone other than yourself. And so that's going to be the key for us is to end our selfishness and more in our self-fulfillment. Um, when we have that kind of mindset, then, you know, you'll, you'll keep doing things uh, to put other, other people in danger. And so I don't want that to be the case uh, for any, any, anybody in our community. So again, thank you so much. Uh, any final comments or from you? Anything you want to share before we? No, just thank you for having me. And I, I really want to emphasize that this, while it's a new disease and while it still seems mysterious, there are some things that we know can work to help protect us. We are not uh, left without any, um, you know, devices. We, we have devices and we just need to use them consistently. And we do need to just care for one another um, for us, um, it's very real. I have a, my youngest son is asthmatic, so that already means he has, um, you know, a more inflammation in his lungs. So I, you know, I take so much precautions because I could think, well, you know what, I'm feeling healthy. I don't have any, um, you know, diseases that I take medications for, so I'm good. And, you know, let me go do this, let me go do that. But, you know, and my, my mom who is older and has chronic medical conditions lives with us. And so it really just requires that we all really think not so much about ourselves, but the fact that we could spread it to someone else who's not as able to fight it off. And, and then how would you feel? Because it would be a very lonely, empty feeling when you didn't have to go to that, you know, meet up. You didn't have to go to, uh, 
to work out at the gym. Those were not things you had to do. You did it because you, you know, wanted to exercise your freedom. And this is hard. It's, it's not easy um, not being able to take the kids to movies or to museums or basically any place that's inside. They haven't, everything we've done um, with the kids have been an outside adventure, fishing and bike riding. I'm, I'm getting to be a pro at bike riding. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so it, it's, you know, it's, it does require just doing new things that um, you may not have done as much in the past, but I know that we can get through it. And, um, you know, I don't think that the way things are going, um, I don't think that there's going to be a black family in America who has not been touched by this disease. It has touched my family uh, personally, um, uh, a cousin that's in New York City. Thankfully, she's on the road to recovery. And, and um, you know, we got to put it out there. There are a lot of healthcare disparities. There are a lot of ways that for us, uh, I, I don't want to, our best, solution is trying to keep ourselves healthy because ending up in the hospital, they've already talked about the fact that there are difficult decisions that doctors are being uh, asked to make. There are situations where they have to choose who is going to be put on the ventilator. And um, I'm not saying this because um, it's not already well-researched, it's already well-researched and I'm not saying this because I want, I do want my brothers and sisters, if they're sick, to go seek help, but I don't want you to do things that put you at a higher risk of becoming sick because you may not be the person they choose to put on the ventilator. And that's just real um, because the other piece of it with the healthcare disparities, with how we're treated in medicine sometimes, this is like, this is the perfect storm because you can't, the the hardest part about having my cousin in the hospital was having to advocate for her from afar. Um, Even her mother and aunts that were in New York City, they couldn't get to her. Um, And so we were blowing up the phone of the nursing supervisor. I said, my name was Dr. Abdul-Baki too many times that day because I wanted them to know that this person was being watched and that she had a doctor in the family. So you better take good care of her, that you need to know that you're being watched and I know what you're doing. Not everyone has that. And so that's the hard, that's another hard part of this disease. When you get hospitalized, you're by yourself. The only people that are going to be able to see you are nurses, doctors, people who work at the hospital. When you die, you die alone because they're not allowing family members in. And so it's it's a lot. And so there's not even the usual, I'm always telling my patients to advocate for themselves, to advocate for their family members. I often tell them, have another f- person in the room with you when the doctor is explaining something. All of that's gone now. And so um, we really have to care for each other. If you're sick, again, do not interpret this as me saying, don't go see the doctor. I am telling you to go see the doctor, but I'm telling you that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Mm. 
Wow. That's really awesome. Thank you for the insight. And You're uh, welcome. Thanks so much for inviting me. Absolutely. And we'll, like I said, we'll keep in contact as we move forward. We can thank you so much for your time. And I hope that uh, everyone who's tuned in got something from it. But the, the main thing, let's um, care for one another and be safe, okay? All right. I'm Have sorry. a good night. We have one question that came in real quickly. Um, they want to know, can you be reinfected if you have had COVID-19 once? That's like, that's a, that's like the, another million dollar question. Um, they are looking at that in South Korea because South Korea, the, the disease like, um, you know, a month ahead, a month, like four to six weeks ahead of us and um, smaller country, more, obedient people. So they were kind of able to put a lockdown in, in place quickly and um, close everything up. And then they got like, you know, they went for a week with almost no cases or one or two cases. Then they reopened it back up. Um, and now they're getting more infections. And that is the question. Um, can you get reinfected twice or when they're doing the antibody test, because what they're testing to see if you have the infection, there's, there's two things. Is it that it lays dormant, which means asleep? We have some viruses, like there's a lot of tricky viruses in the world. Like um, when you think about someone who has um, chicken pox, so you have chicken pox when you're five, six, seven, Hopefully you don't get chicken pox anymore because we do have a good vaccine for that. But let's say it, all the people who are like in their 70s now, they're getting um, a vaccine for shingles because mm. that's the chicken pox uh, virus that becomes alive again. And it produces this very painful rash that can be debilitating. Now that's a virus that stayed asleep for like 60 years and then springs back up because um, the chickenpox virus lives within your nerve tissue. Um, there's a lot we don't know about the coronavirus. We, it has not been studied and, um, you know, information um, gotten from it. Like we can talk about the chickenpox virus or the herpes virus or HIV um, or human papillomavirus. There's just a lot we don't know. So um, I can't really, I don't think it's known whether someone can get reinfected. I think what they ended up kind of saying is that in South Korea, um, they thought that most of those people who presented again with illness may have had a um, re-emergence of the virus. So you had the flu-like illness, you stayed in quarantine for two weeks, you went out and things got normal again, and then like a week or seven to 10 days later, you got sick again. And there, the hypothesis, the latest hypothesis I read was that they're thinking that that's more along the lines of uh, indolent or kind of sleeping infection that rose up again. So it was the same infection and um, went asleep a little bit and then spiked up again wow well thank you so so very much 
again, like I said, um, we'll stay in contact with you as we move forward. Again, thank you so much for your Greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful evening. Same to you. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Uninhibited. You can find more episodes to download at iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. You can also continue the conversation at uninhibited.community on Facebook, where you can like us and share. And you can continue chatting on Instagram at uninhibited.podcast. Special shout out to Trap Quilo for the beats.